Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 157. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we had the week off for Memorial Day. We're back with uh, with a lot of news. Uh, a lot has gone down in the past two weeks, and uh, yeah, it's a lot to get in, a lot to get into today. A lot to get into, but first, Josh, uh, we do have a, a review that came in, and that brings us to 271, which means that 271 years ago, I looked up um, what was happening on June 1st, 271 years ago, and I got the this hit from the diary of Reverend Ebenezer Parkman. June 1st, 1749, um, I attended the convention, was at the sermon. Mr. Bernard of Andover's preached on 2 Corinthians 4.1. The contribution amounted to uh, unrecognizable word. Um, and he goes on to talk about um, his horse um, and what else happened. So we'll link to that in the show notes because that's what happened today, 271 years ago, which means, Josh, we need just 29 more reviews to get to... 300. We will be counting them down um, by taking 2020 to minus in the number. There you go. So 271 years ago, that was what was going on June 1st. And the five-star review says, both Josh and Ryan come off as die in the wool. Oil cats love hearing oil and gas takes and really wanting more on oil. I'm oh, sorry, on small and mid caps in the industry. You both like and why keep them coming on my brother wool cats okay so we will work on putting together some small and mid cap stuff over the next few weeks for you thank you for the five star review again we're at 271 so um we'll link to dr ebenezer a uh, reverend ebenezer parkman's diary so you can read about what was going on 271 years ago and if you want me to stop doing this nonsense all you gotta do is get 300 it's just that simple so um it just this 29 five stars josh that's and, and it's still roast month right we got what a, a month and like fifteen days to roast month's ends. It's July fifteenth, tax day, I believe. So listen, roast month's still here. So get your roast in. Mainly about Josh and Nate or Stephanie, whatever. We'll take any of those roasts. Oh, one one other thing before we get the show, Josh. I should. There was some rumors circulating around that we were going to sign with Spotify for a hundred million. We have opted at this time to hold out for more money. So, just in case you're wondering. Gonna, for those those asking, we are going to hold out. Uh, we felt like you know, if Rogan got a hundred for this is him. There's two of us, and we've got to throw Nate's crumbs. So we need at least at least two fifteen, two fifteen, three hundred million, something like that. So Spotify, hide your boys. So speaking of uh, speaking of Rose Run, um, Greenpeace okay. reports oh. oil in oil in the cloud. Uh, there is a. There was uh, some talks, a couple of things that came out. Uh, first of note is uh, Google uh, said that they're going to stop making AI tools for oil and gas firms. And uh, there were several other companies that were talking about um, you know, confronting the deteriorating um, effects of Shell, BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil on, on the climate. And so uh, they're really hitting on some of the big companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Google. They all do some uh, some cloud storage for oil and gas companies. Uh, so just wanted to, to stop a minute and uh, kind of go over the optics of, of what they're doing. So first, first off, all of these companies rely on oil and gas for products, plastics, that kind Everything. of thing. 
<laughs> everything that they do and all of their employees do. Right. And so when they say they're going to stop making AI for the oil and gas industry, it's not because they are smart, logical, or uh, actually concerned with the environment because they're going to continue to use the products. It's mm -hmm. just for optics so that, that they can, uh, they can, I guess, win the affections of the morons um, who are involved in Greenpeace, basically. So I, every now and then I like to go over some of this because I, I, I feel like this is going to be a big battle for old, the oil and gas industry, uh, the climate folks. We're going to see in just a little bit um, the Keystone Pipeline and uh, uh, two others are being held up uh, in Ninth Circuit Court and, and another one. And it is basically having to do with um, this group, uh, this climate group that are pushing things and, and are making it very difficult for the oil and gas industry to do what it needs to do. And uh, they're just so stupid that, that it should be easy for us to, to win these, these deals. But uh, unfortunately, um, I don't know that people are intelligent enough to actually follow the, the, the facts. So, well, and, and, let's, and let's be fair. If uh, Google or Amazon or Microsoft or whoever says we don't want to work with uh, oil and gas companies because they don't pay us, um, this is not a business huh. sector or, or whatever, then, you know, we don't care that we're, we're free market. That that's the, you know, and so it's not where the, the, the critique we're laying here is not one of, Hey, you should be forced to work with them or not. That's, that's not relevant. Um, and they can use this report as justification to not work for them. So that's not the thing But what, what Josh is pointing out, I think is, um, is that this is, this is, um, <sighs> What do you call, let's see here, I'm trying to think of a, uh, this show is PG rated, so I'll, I'll stop that analogy. But what they're doing here is they're, 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 they're cowing down to external forces to look self-righteous. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. And I believe we talked about this in the past, Josh, with uh, who was the moron running for president? Well, never mind. Sorry. That's a long list. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, bad question. All we the ones who won in the last 40 years. <laughs> I think it was Castro we ripped on the show, or one yeah. of them, yeah. for, for their plan. And, and, and what we pointed out at the time was pretty simple, is that if you're really concerned about the impact of fossil fuels and damage to the society and all this stuff, well then, hey, that's all we should talk about. Nothing else. There's nothing else we're talking about. That's the most important thing. Of course, no one actually does that because they really don't care. They really don't believe it. And Greenpeace... Um, sadly has a bunch of followers who, um, you know, they get to get roused up and then they point to Amazon and Google and you're bad, but you know, okay, well, listen, I encourage, so with that being said, I encourage Google. I applaud them. I hope as we've seen the show multiple times that they go for the Amish lifestyle. Um, it's going to be a little hard to make money, but, um, but maybe you can make a wooden computer and a wooden, uh, phone and stuff like that. So we, we really, uh, uh, encourage Google to go all in with this all in to be really consistent. Um, and so Google, we can, we, we commend you and wish you the come out of this COVID crisis for oil and gas folks. And we need to pound this home, we need to pound this home. If you look at the, uh, I, think, uh, I think NASA had a report out a few months ago about the pollution levels in China. Uh, I see some other ones as well during the lockdown. Right. You know, what, what did the earth look like during the lockdown? And the pollution levels went down dramatically because people weren't out and about, they weren't driving, which is exactly what we said. If you want to, if you want to rid the world today 
of the impact of fossil fuels and go back to living the Amish lifestyle. That's that's really it. So we need to pound that. And, it, and it's not saying that we want to ruin the environment, but we need to highlight that these kind of measures, this is where it leads to. And we're old enough, all of us on this podcast are old enough to remember what it was like to live life under lockdown. Right. That was yeah. just three weeks. That was just three weeks ago. So we all remember how bad that sucked and how terrible that was. And I'm not saying you might like working from home now or anything like that, but we understand that practically that was a brutal few months. Um, so if that's what you want, based upon the technology we have today, based upon everything that we know about, um, you know, the way we use uh, oil and gas and energy, if, if you want to drastically reduce carbon emissions, then we need to start looking towards the Amish lifestyle. And so Google, we hope that you lead the way. And um, for the tech startups out there that are looking to capitalize, I think this is a good opportunity for them as well, right? So Google obviously has a huge competitive advantage, but if you're in this space and Google's pulling out, then it's going to create an open opportunity for someone else to, to come in there uh, and pick up where Google's not going to. So I think it's also that. And what will probably happen is, you go in and develop a tool for an EMP company, and then five years, Google will probably come and buy you out anyways. So probably, probably, probably a win-win for you. Yeah, yeah, they definitely will. Uh, as consistent be, as they are, that would be, be that would be, that would be, you know, in keeping with their character. <laughs> 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 well, uh, next article, Ryan, is uh, India looking to store oil in the U.S. Petroleum Reserve. So the strategic, uh, the SPR. India was talking about putting, what was it, 38 to 40 million metric tons of crude oil, which is 20% of their annual oil demand of the country. Just a tremendous amount of oil. Um, what do you think, Ryan? I mean, that, why would India want to store their oil over here right now? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the, what, the, what the appeal is for them. They don't have anywhere to put it, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. It was probably, well, probably multitude of things. Don't, don't have where to put it. It's maybe quicker or more efficient to build it over here. And third, let's just call this pay this bait. It's probably safer here than it is, you know, in other yeah. parts of the world. Um, and from the U.S. perspective, we talked about this a few uh, last show, I guess it's not last week, but last show about, you know, kind of this, this cross-cultural investment stuff. So this helps you, the U.S. Some people might read this and go, oh, my gosh, we're letting India put oil in our SPR. That's terrible. Da, 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 da. Okay, hold on. Hold on. This and I'm not saying this is the right way to think. It's just how people think. Do you not for one second don't think that Trump would not threaten to withhold that oil from India if he wanted to, to, to get a negotiation point? If India needed the oil, do you not think he would do that? Yeah. yeah I think he would just, you know, um, expropriate the oil, take it over if he needed to, right? So um, this does, you know, these are, these are the ways in which countries you begin to do business together. Um, you begin to work together and, you, you know, and so this is obviously a very small example of that, but so no, I think it's a good thing. I don't know. There's, there's no reason why we should be opposed to this. Um, um, and then, you know, if you're concerned about us paying for the oil, like if we need it, we had to pay for it. Don't worry about that. We just print money anyways. So it's not like that's actually going to really matter because we just, you know, when we need money, what do we do, we just go print it and there's no repercussion so far, it seems. So I don't think it's a big deal at all. I think it's a good yeah. thing. If anything. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, uh, it, it, if they're going to invest in it, uh, I wonder if they're going to invest in some of the uh, infrastructure because that would be tremendous if they come over here and put in a few billion to build infrastructure. I, I'm all for that. That's uh, it's fantastic. 
Well, right. So, um, so if you look at Australia spent 59 billion to build an emergency oil stockpile that would be stored in the U S SPR. Um, and so That's a million with an M. What did I say? Billion? I meant million. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Billion. Yes. Thank you. Um, so you, know, I don't know the, the particulars to that deal, but if they're, if they're going to go and build out more SPR for us and then they're going to put oil in and they're going to take oil out, well then that's free or cheaper or whatever it is um, for us in the future. So yeah, I, I don't see how this would is be. There, any, yeah. It's risky for India because I mean, it gives us yeah. leverage, but at the same time, I think um, it, it, it's the, it's the direction that we need to go. I mean, it'd be good if America would invest in India stuff and then the chances of us getting into a fight probably decrease. Um, if I get along better with India at that point, because we got a lot of money over there and want everything to work out. So yeah, agreed. Uh, Permian leads declines among U.S. shell basins. This is not a huge surprise. This article is from May 19th. We were off last week. So um, I kept this in here um, just just to touch on it. I mean, we, we've been following this for some time. Uh, this is not a surprise. Uh, the The decline is is happening sharply in the Permian. Uh, I, think, I think they were saying that the majority of the rigs that are running. Uh, I, I, did you see, Ryan, where they said that there were more rigs in the Permian than there were in Texas? Um, and I think it was a reference to the fact that uh, the bulk of the rigs are actually in New Mexico right now. I'm not sure. That's I'm just saying oh, that from memory. Uh, I was trying to figure out what you're getting with that. Uh, no, I did not. I did not see that. So um, I think uh, Sir, I it was on Twitter. Sergio responded to somebody. I, I'll have to check it out. It, it, it was a... It was a Mm. Yeah. Well, someone was, uh, someone was confused. It was like, how is there, how is there more rigs in a Permian than there are in Texas? And then Sergio mm. was like, well, it's the New Mexico side. New Mexico side yeah. yeah. I, I have not seen that one way or another. Um, I will say that, that we've, I think we talked about it on the show. I know we've talked about it offline. Some is that the decline rate, that's what we're all kind of waiting to see. Remember the, yep. the whole deal about us shell from the pundits is, is that to keep it profitable, they had to keep drilling. Keep the numbers up. You got to keep drilling. We've stopped drilling, basically. So the decline rates have to come in. And so when do they come in? And how fast do they come in? And so that's obviously not not my uh, area of expertise. But I'm, and I'm not denying the narrative. It's just it just has to happen based upon what everyone's told us um, and what little of the numbers I've looked at. I don't you know, make sense to me. So it's 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 when is the real question. And um, you know we're sitting here today with WTI at 34. I don't think it's possible for the price to get back high enough to start drilling again um, to kind of mitigate some of that. So, it, you know, I don't, I'm not sure why the price will continue. I'm not, I'm not confident right now. The price will continue to go up and to the right. It seems like it's probably a little bit overinflated right now, but you know, who knows? So um, yeah. So I, I think that the, that this is just one of the things that we have to, we have to follow and, you know, if you were to see a spike that gets up to fifty or sixty dollars a barrel and, and sustained, then you know, the 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 impact of you know the the reduction in drilling will be less severe than if it is if it keeps on going on for another six to eight months. I will say this, um, and I don't think we have this in the show today. Um, I saw EOG announced that it was getting rid of its hedges for this year. And next year, I believe. And so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was really interesting because um, the person who sent it out, 
um, was was talking. Yeah, let's see, you're taking off the the second half of 2020 hedges. Okay, so second half, so the rest of this year. Um, so I thought that was interesting um, that they're getting rid of their hedges for the second half of the year. And I wonder if, what what we should take that to mean. I don't have their hedge information, you know, handy. Um, but anyways, I thought that was interesting. Okay, EOG, they're a pretty smart company. Hmm. I wonder what that means. And uh, there was a comparison to them and Harold Hamm and what he did with the downturn. But Harold Hamm, from my, my remembrance, was, you know, he sold his hedges off while the price was still going down. The price of WDI can go back down. I'm not saying that, but I don't think we're going to see you know, $10 oil um, over and over and over and over again. I think we've kind of seen the bottom of what the, I think we've seen the bottom of what the actual market can be. So I don't think that's possible. So anyways, I thought that was an interesting tidbit though. Josh just came out last week was, uh, and I think it was uh, Dan, yeah, Dan Pickering, Nate, maybe we got to get Dan Pickering on and see if he wants to talk about the the hedges and um, what his thoughts are with that. Because anyways, that's an interesting signal to the market, I thought, if nothing else. Yeah, I think uh, one of the, one of the things that, that um, this, I was reading this uh, article that's coming up that's related to that one. This one's from the 18th and the title of it was uh, no one expected us shell output cuts to happen so fast. Uh, now when I, I read that, I just started laughing. Um, like no one expected us shell output cuts to happen so fast. Like, who, who's no one. Yeah. It's didn't everyone expect Well, I say everyone except the people who thought we needed the government to, to come in and I say the government, the railroad commission to come in and yeah. force prices lower. And it's like, well, everybody did it already. Kind of, kind of everyone, but lame duck sitting. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's headlines like that. They're so frustrating. It's like, well, like, well, I don't mean, like you're saying, we say nobody. It's like, well, nobody now could, could, or I don't think you're saying, I don't know saying, could you predict how fast it was going to happen? No. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't predict it because, Everyone's responding individually, but yeah, it's just, and just as an aside, if they would have kept the drilling levels up like they were back in January, February, what would have happened, Josh? The price wouldn't be 34 right now. It would be this decimated, right? Yeah. yeah. Just stop thinking about that. It would be decimated. And it's like, well, yeah. So when you say no one expected, it's like, mm, okay. I don't know who these no ones are, but. Whatever you think, buddy. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting what you said about EOG. Um, the, the, getting rid of some of their hedges. I've been wondering. All of them. What, yeah. All of them. So do you, do, you think, do you think they have strong indications that prices are going to rebound above their hedges? Well, I need to go. That's why we need to probably get Dan on. It depends on what their hedges, what they were. Like, you know, um, you know, what kind of hedge they had and what, what, what the price markers were. So it kind of depend on that. I just, I, I took that to mean it's probable that EOG thinks the price is going to rebound quicker. That's yeah. what I took it to mean. Yeah, me too. But, but, yeah. I, but I'm not, I, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to go look up all their, um, all their hedging stuff, you know, what, what all is going on with that. So I don't know. So it could mean something else. So I'm not, I don't want to state definitively here. EOG, Headlines should not read. EOG says price is coming back. That's not at all I'm saying. I thought, hmm. Because when Ham sold his off, if you remember back, oh, I can't speak today. Um, you know, he was thinking that the price was going to rebound pretty quickly and he whiffed horrendously. It was bad. It was bad, 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 bad. Um, so, yeah. So I think that, that that would be the signal. But again, you know, when you 
you get someone on who's probably studied their their uh, their hedges and their, their balance sheet a little bit more than me and you have, but that would be my guess, yeah. And so, and and I wonder how much of that. Obviously, these companies have a lot more data than you and I have access to. I wonder how much of that is based upon what they're seeing from China. You know, uh, and then we're talking about here in a second. But if you look at the China numbers, at least so far, they're going back to pre-COVID type levels. And so, you know, if worldwide we get back to pre-COVID type levels here within three to four months and the price could rebound pretty quickly. Yeah, that, that would be. I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying, you know, if we did. Well, what, what was um, what was Dr. Anasa's original prediction uh, when the price war started with the Russian, Russians and Saudis? Um, Q4 2020. Yeah, Q4 2020. Um, so EOG seems to be in his camp based based on what we're saying, but we don't really have all the information. No, no I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I said 2021, not not 2020. Anas so, was 2021. Right. I thought he was right. Q. Q. Yeah, I think it was, last I, thought it was Q, I thought it was Q2 2021. I thought he was saying, and I thought he was also saying that by uh, Q4 2020, it was going to be back to where it was, but it was going to go a lot higher in 2021. I don't know. Maybe, maybe well, I need to go back and hold on. When he first came on or when he last time came on? <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, that was like two weeks apart. So <laughs> a lot changed in that two weeks. I don't, I don't remember. I was thinking originally it was at the end of 2021. He thought things would come back. Um, that was before the COVID shutdown happened, though. Post COVID shutdown, he might have he might have changed. But I don't know. We'll let's get Nas back on to tell us. How about that? That will yeah. be probably, probably the best thing. But but yeah, but yeah. More so, <laughs> but yeah. But if uh, but I do think it's a it's an interesting signal that um that that's, that 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 EOG sold them. So we'll get on someone to break down maybe more about what they had hedged out and how that stuff works and uh, you know, what what signals maybe that might be. All right. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I'd, I'd like you mentioned Dan and then Anas. We could get get them, kind of get their take on some of this. Uh, so there was a there's an article that came out Houston Chronicle on June first, which is today. Stocks pull back on Wall Street as trade worries flare again. So was it Thursday, Friday last week? Trump Friday. comes out and yeah, Friday he made some he had some talks about Hong Kong and uh, basically China trying to. I guess take or regain, I don't know the right word, get control of Hong Kong, um, get them under their jurisdiction. And so Trump comes out and says some things that seems to put stress on China US relations. Uh, how much was the US relying on China's economy getting back for oil demand? How was the US going to benefit from that? Uh, these are questions that people were, were thinking about considering. And now, um, and not just oil. There's other other benefits to the economy that the U.S. has because of China's economy uh, being a, a big one. So, um, so this yeah. article talks about the Wall Street and it talks about the the stocks and how they they've taken uh, a bit of a hit. So, yeah. But, and so, real quick, just if you're curious about China and, and geopolitical stuff, WarRoomMedia.com. We cover some of this, not all of this, but some of this uh, on our almost daily basis um, on varying levels. So uh, shameless plug there, but yeah. So this bro this story is from June 1st, but also, and I haven't had a chance to read these stories. So keep this in mind. This is kind of breaking news this morning. Um, here's one from CNBC. China asked state firms to halt purchase of us soybean and pork. Um, and there's also one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the same thing. So if we go back, 
I believe it was last week, week before last, there was an interesting shift. China was buying barley from Australia and they got mad over price gouging or tariffs or I can't remember what it was. It was tariffs. And so they shifted their products, their, their purchase. And Nate's been looking at this with me too. You might remember, but they were, I think it was um, anti-dumping legislation and stuff like that. Anyways. So they shifted buying that from Australia to the U S and so they moved a bunch of, a bunch of their purchasing. That was like a week ago. And so now today <laughs> they're talking about halting their, um, their soybean purchases and things like this. And so there's a lot of, um, as Nate likes to call it, saber rattling going on um, internationally right now. And so it'd be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. As for the oil itself, um, you know, so there's two things. One, the demand, and then two, how much will they continue to buy up? And so, um, and the demand in general, just for us in the States, should be a good indicator for um, what we should expect globally for, you know, for how fast for oil demand should return. Right. It won't be an exact measure, but if oil demand in China goes back to 90% of pre-COVID levels by July, then it's reasonable to, to presume that it's, you know, barring something else that within a few months, the world will be back 90% globally to pre-COVID levels. I wouldn't bet the farm on those kind of, um, 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 oh gosh, modeling, you know, just kind of, a, just, I'm just throwing out just kind of a, it's, uh, it's kind of a good, good trend line to fall. As far as buying U.S. oil though, yeah, we, we want to buy our oil. I mean, Think we're in the business of selling it right we, that's how it works we produce it to sell it yeah mm. so um and now as far as the you know the phase one the phase one trade deal if they do start pulling out of some of this stuff then um you could see the phase one trade phase one trade deal back in trouble um which would be interesting to see how that shakes out um and obviously on friday trump pulled out of the who um, not the band the organization sorry it's a terrible joke i don't know Mm-hmm. but um yeah nate, nate don't don't look at me like that nate i know i know i know i've always wanted to say it and then when i said it, it's like oh god that's worse than i thought it was gonna be um so there's a lot of a lot of moving parts a lot of things going on the india angle we had not talked about that a lot and that's interesting so um but yeah it's a little early to see what's going to happen with the china stuff because we are kind of getting some breaking news this morning uh, as we're recording and um you know i think Josh, if you're looking at this, kind of going, okay, well, what does this mean for for oil prices uh, and economic stuff? Is well, it it could we could look at it and see that you know if so if China quits importing the soybeans, um, well, we, we've read the stories about the farmers here in the U.S. about how they need to sell their product and they've been taking a beating. You know, what does that mean for them, and what does that mean for the demand that they bring to the market? Like, there's a lot of questions that could come up as a result of um, a shifting. Um, geopolitical rebalancing of, of trade deals. Final thing I'll say is, is that Africa, South America, those continents are not being mentioned in the market. There will be tons of aid and support that will have to be thrown those uh, to those places. Um, so you could see something to where you find uh, increased demand to emerging markets because of, um, you know, sending out um, crops or you know, rebuilding infrastructure or whatever. Um, so anyways, so just kind of some things to watch at a high level. Well, uh, just for uh, for humor and just for com- some perspective. So the article we just did was June 1st. Obviously, there's breaking news coming out um, as we speak right now uh, from a week ago. Uh, this first one is May 22nd. So the title of the article is Post-Crisis Recovery, Oil Supply and Demand is Moving Back Towards Equilibrium with China Leading the Way. So mm-hmm. uh, news is coming out last week. 
China was getting back and it was good for everyone. Uh, May 18th, oil near $33 with Chinese demand near pre-virus levels. And then the last one was Asian shares climb, Tokyo gains on hopes for reopening. And so uh, the news coming from China was as they were reopening, the trade deals that we had in place, um, it was good for our economy over here um, in, in the States. Uh, but that narrative within a week um, has shifted tremendously. I think I think there's three, uh, well, at least two things going on. Uh, the first one, the first one I'm curious about is uh, Biden has been soft on China in the past. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what his, how would, how would his relationship with China work out um, from just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, would it be better for the economy to be soft on China right now, or would it be better to be tough on them? Uh, and second, um, I wonder how Trump is going to handle the COVID-19 stuff with uh, originating in Wuhan. How is that going to work out? I mean, at some level, at some level, the fact that it originated there, that doesn't, that doesn't make them evil or, you know, if one originated here and it killed a bunch of people in China because they're very populated, I don't know that it would be our fault. You're, you're saying originated. You're, you're uh, just to be clear, you're saying you have no idea. You're presuming it, it was um, a wet market type deal when you say originated. You're not showing, you're not going with the created in the lab narrative for the sake of No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And it, 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 I'm not saying it. I, I don't know for sure that it ain't, but I'm assuming that it didn't. I'm assuming right. that it was um, somebody ate food, like a batter or yeah. from what I read, it was probably gotten through some sort of eating of uh, food. Animal. Right. Yeah. And, and they got it and then it started there and it spread all over the world. And I'm I'm saying we don't we want to get the benefits of of uh, good uh, relationships between U.S. and China. And the fact that a virus started there doesn't mean we should be you know creating this riffraff between the two countries. Which I'm not I'm not sure. I think Trump's coming out against Hong Kong has more to do with trying to take a hard stance against China for political purposes than it is with regard for democracy in Hong Kong. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just, there's two things there. So one would be Trump, and the second would be the the Biden deal. I mean, if, if he came out with soft, would we see better relationships with with China? That would be interesting. Yeah, I, to the to the Biden question, I don't I don't know. I, I think I, my current stance on China is they are in a bad spot. Um, they're in a bad spot. What China needs more than anything else is a V-shaped recovery globally, because that's kind of the no harm, no foul deal. Long drawn out depression, recessions, uh, multiple countries, you know, globally, whatever. That's when China takes the, the biggest hit, regardless of whether it was, um, you know, if it was, um, you know, created in a lab and accidentally got out, or if it was the wet market kind of got the, got the bat and, you know, whatever. Now, if it comes out that they created it and intentionally released it or whatever, which I do not think the case okay that's 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 we're not talking about that but just kind of the, the it seems that it's probably some accidental thing um whether it was you know eating or it was in the lab got released whatever the case is um you know i think i think for their sake they want a v-shaped recovery more than anyone because everyone goes back to being kind of, if, remember iran shot down iran shot down an airliner a few months back does anyone remember that uh, 10 years ago no no <laughs> A few months, like in January or February, it was late yeah. January. Or, or, anyways, pre-COVID, and, and, right? And so, you know, 
I'm old enough to remember, Josh. You, you probably aren't a young guy like yourself. I'm old enough to remember when the media was talking about if we opened up stuff, we might spread the COVID too fast. But I didn't see any of those headlines this weekend. And there's people out everywhere. It was really <laughs> weird. It was really out, weird. Out everywhere is an understatement. I mean, yeah. there was people out everywhere. I see any headlines uh, talk about go back home or you spread the COVID. So, you know, the narrative can change quite quickly, right? So yeah. if, a, if a roaring economy comes back, China probably can walk away that bygones be bygones. If it's a long slug to get through this thing, that's bad for China. So that's kind of my general thoughts on how China would be perceived, which means, um, but to the point, you know, if you look at China, I think it was over the weekend or last week, they just announced that you can't eat dogs anymore, you know? And we kind of look at that, we kind of laugh. It's like, well, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hmm, you can't eat dogs anymore. I wonder, I wonder why that news is coming out now. I mean, just stop thinking, why is that news coming out now? Right in the middle of a COVID crisis where we're accusing them of eating bats and uh, viruses coming from bats. Now the dog thing comes out, right? Mm-hmm. So there, 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 are, there are things. So there are things that are kind of woven into the, 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 the larger picture that are hard to, to catch and you can't catch them all, but you'll, you'll see something like that. Like, hmm, that's interesting. So in six months from now, let's just say that the, 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 the bat or some kind of animal narrative is the narrative. In six months from now, China will say, well, listen, we've already done reforms. You know, we, 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 the, the dog's no longer a preferred animal or I can't remember how they, I think it's considered a pet, not an animal to eat or whatever. Um, you know, so there, there's things that are actually happening now to change the way that we will view the news six months from now. Um, whether they're malicious or not, it's a different, different discussion, but there's already things that are happening. So I, I'm, I'm ultimately, if the economy can kind of get back going, especially from Trump's sake, if he can get stuff in the U.S. going, you know, um, I think it will work out work out well for everyone. The worse the uh, the worse the recession depression drags on, the worse it will be for international relations. Um, and I think you will see a rush for the emerging markets to kind of reshift the power balance back there. And that's really not outside of our history, right? We spend a lot of time fighting battles in emerging markets as, it, as it's been already. Well, hopefully we will see a V-shaped recovery. Uh, that that would be ideal for, for everyone involved. I'm hoping that um, all the um, economics of what's going on, um, I hope that you know, the printing money and things doesn't have the effects that it could um, and everything gets back to you know, a relatively new normal. And unemployment you know starts to decrease i know right now we're up pretty high hopefully that'll start to decrease because I, I think i saw a report wall street journal said um definitely the speed of unemployment has decreased but we're still like 15 times higher for the past week than we were before you know before well, the, the unemployment started. Right. And one thing everyone should just take note. Um, I made this point earlier about the decrease in pollution. Um, the other thing we've uh, observed is the reasonable, I say reasonable, the reasonable bottom of old demand that we can expect ever again. And unless we start, you know, some mass shift where we don't use oil and gas, but right. So if we kind of, the next two to three years, you can say, well, you know, if, some, if there was another outbreak to happen, um, what is a reasonable amount of oil that we could cut off the market? Well, we had 100 million barrel a day demand. We went down to, what was it, uh, 70 or 80 million, I think it was uh, 75 million barrels, whatever whatever it is now. It's 25, 30% cut, I think it was. Um, right? So we know that 
This is kind of the, the most oil that we'll be using. And this is kind of the least because we can't actually go any lower than that unless mm. there's to go lower than that would mean that it's far worse than um, what we saw the past few months. And what we saw the past few months was mainly protection, right? It wasn't really, um, you know, in, in some spots it was bad, but, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the plague level deaths, right? Yeah. So to kind of go below the what we demand we've seen for the past few months would require something you would imagine far substantial, which is a really interesting thing to think about from the market standpoint. If you're an oil and gas company now and a year and a half from now, there's uh, you know COVID 2022 or whatever, um, you're like, well, how far will demand drop? You actually actually kind of have a gauge of what you might expect it to see, right? Yep. And so, yeah. I, mean, I think these companies can premeditate their responses this time. You know, they can have a plan in place for assuming COVID happens, this is what we're going to do. Right. You know, something Which is before you would have said, well, how much and what's that? You kind of have to remember yeah. and some are right, some are wrong. The other thing though, Josh, is you talk about economic job growth and loss. We say, okay, well, if we have another pandemic, this is the type of job loss that we can see. If it's again, kind of assuming roughly we kind of handled the same way. Obviously there's a lot of factors involved. So there's actually some interesting, and I hate to say interesting data because there's people's actual lives are impacted by this, but there's, there is some interesting things that we should remember and we should learn. So you can look at the pollution, you can look at the old demand, you can look at the job loss, you can also look at the job creation, right? So we'll start to see job creation coming out of this as well. Um, and so I think there's a lot of things that will give us um, an interesting way to go back and to look at what happens and we'll educate people to decide you know, how they want to respond to things moving forward or, you know, they want to do it the same way or not. And so, um, um, but, the, but the unemployment deal, I think is one of the things that we, we've been kind of following, right. And as you said, it's kind of slowed down, but it's slowed down relative to, you know, it's slowed down relative to, to, to the roller coaster it was on. Um, but as the country opens back up, how fast do those jobs come back online? That's really going to be a thing that's going to be interesting to watch. I say, again, interesting. It's, um, from this, the data standpoint. All right. Well, from uh, to wrap things up with the Texas Roundup, we have several uh, several things I wanted to mention here. Uh, some of these are some of these are older, um, but I think I think they're pertinent nonetheless. Uh, Diamondback Energy prices five hundred million dollar debt offering. Um, so, if you remember back in twenty eighteen, Diamondback uh, acquired Energen uh, Corp. For, it was it was valued around nine billion nine point something nine point two billion. Um, it was primarily a, a stock a stock deal that they and they got some debt and and, and kind of acquired the company. Uh, so the, you see Diamondback making some moves there. Um, there is a methane sensor network that will be tested in the Permian. Um, uh, Pioneer Natural Resources are one of the companies that they're using, and and they're they're partnering with some of this technology. Uh, it says we're initially providing the first location for testing later this year. That's Mark Berg. He is the executive VP of corporate operations for Pioneer. Uh, so they're testing this methane sensor that is going to basically be live, twenty four hours, measuring methane uh, as it uh, in these upstream wells. Uh, so. I would anticipate that the sensor is going to help reduce methane emissions and Pioneer will come out shortly later and say that their new standards should be required of all companies in the, in the states. Uh, next one, Shell evacuates workers after coronavirus outbreak in the Gulf on Gulf Rig. This is an article from Sergio on May 27th. 
there were nine people that were evacuated. I think two of them tested negative. Uh, the other seven tested positive. They weren't over 80 and didn't have any significant underlying issues, so they were probably fine. Um, I haven't verified that, just a guess. Uh, next article, U.S. Pipeline Operator Energy Transfer Warns of Coming Job Cuts. Let's see, they say they're going to cut 6% of its workforce next week. This article came out three days ago on May the 29th. So there's going to be some, some job cuts at energy, energy transfer. Heart uh, Energy article. This is an article I referenced earlier. Keystone XL Court ruling another blow to big pipelines. Uh, so the two biggest U.S. natural gas pipelines under construction are likely facing more delays after an appeals court ruling against the Army Corps of Engineers, energy analysts said. Um, there is another that one. Poor Keystone, man. Like, Tell you what. I, I would just be curious how much they've lost, not not in um, potential revenue gain. Obviously, that's a that's a tremendous loss, but just in this legal line for permits and just just curious, like how much that alone has cost them, and then how much how long it would take to make that much money that money, that that part of the money back. You know, yeah. because this is this has been going on forever now. It's crazy. That's nuts. That's nuts. I, I, I thought this Keystone was approved like 32 times since we started this <laughs> podcast. And it always turns out there's, there's something comes up. Yeah, it feels like they're kind of, they, they, you know, they, they brick a corner. It's like, nope, 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 nope. So there's and, two uh, other pipelines that they mentioned here in addition to the Keystone. The Mountain Valley, not likely to start service until at least second quarter 2021. And then there is... Um, West Virginia, uh, West Virginia, Virginia pipeline is supposed to be uh, online late 2020. It's a $5.4 billion investment here that and it's supposed to be this year, Q4 sometime. It's supposed to be live. Uh, so two pipelines they are that are that are under construction are supposedly still on schedule, but you never know. Um, you never know. They might. You know, get some- it's something I just thought about here. And if we've got someone who is working on the Keystone and wants to keep it confidential, we'd be happy to, to do that. But um, Keystone, let's see here uh, if I can find this out. I'm guessing they probably got a hundred foot permit right away or something like that. Um, okay. So if they've acquired the right of way for this, then that means that from the beginning of the pipeline to the end of the pipeline, um, okay, it says nearly 100% of the right away is required. Okay. So think about this. So it's a, I guess it's probably 100 foot swath, maybe 150 with temporary. I don't know. Someone can tell us what it is. Um, they've acquired the right away, which means that that land cannot be used for anything except for you know, whatever the, the, the terms of the right away agreement are. But the right away agreement, uh, I mean, the, the the pipeline can't be laid. So you have land from like <laughs> you know Canada all the way down here that's just in limbo. So you have landowners who have signed a right-of-way agreement that may would do something else with the land, but they can't because they're waiting on the courts, the government to get this process done. And, you, you know, if you have a property like mine, uh, well, 100-foot-wide swath would be you know my whole backyard. But, okay, let's just say I had a little bit deeper backyard. It wouldn't be too much because you know the width of my property isn't you know isn't isn't that big. However, but if you have a big ranch and you got a hundred foot swath or hundred fifty foot swath that you're kind of holding in limbo um, for a long period of time, that's going to be quite frustrating. 
Uh, I just thought about that. So if you're working as a right-of-way agent or have some insight, um, again, shoot us an email. We'll, we'll keep your thing confidential if you want. But I'm just curious how and then, you know, what kind of contractual agreements do they have to hold the right-of-way for the extenuating circumstances that they're under. So anyways, this is something I thought about while you're talking there. It's a, a potential problem, even if they do get, they do get approved is that they might have, uh, um, you know, structures or, you know, other stuff built in the way now. All right. Well, Ron, I think that wraps us up for the day. That, uh, was, uh, Quite a, quite a bit of things there. We had some stuff from a couple of weeks ago, so it was interesting. It's always interesting to see how much the, the narratives can change. It just so happens that we we skip Memorial Day weekend when uh, news typically, or you know, there's not not a lot going on. And then the following week, you have um, all these riots going on all over the country. Uh, SWAT teams being called in, Secret Service people. I think they uh, there was riots at the White House, and a lot of Secret Service agents were hurt um, last night. It's just crazy stuff going on all over the place, not to mention COVID nineteen and and all of that. So it's been a it's been a uh, interesting two weeks, to say the least. Yes, yeah, yes, it has, and that makes it all the harder to predict what's going to happen moving forward. You know, so you would like to think the riots are going to die down sooner rather than later. Okay, that's uh, I think everyone involved wants that. So the riots die down, obviously, uh, but but this is hypothetically think if the riots last for months and months and months on end, what does that do to the economic impact uh, for the oil and gas markets? Right. Cause the riots are in major metropolitan areas, major cities. And if folks aren't, you know, so I'm not wishing for this obviously, but it's like, well, hmm, okay. If the riots do continue for months and months and months on end, um, that could have a, uh, an interesting impact on, you know, what does happen to, to oil and gas demand as far as driving and stuff like that, um, reshifting some of the, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the COVID stuff. So um, it's just one of those things that probably will, I don't want to say a blip with the radar as far as, uh, you know, historically speaking, but as far as the oil markets go, probably won't be a big deal because my suspicion as it stands now is that they'll, 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 they'll die down sooner rather than later. But, um, but if they don't and you have long protests and I mean, you're talking what, Los Angeles, Dallas, Miami, Atlanta, New York, Chicago, Detroit, uh, DC. Um, I think I saw either Seattle or Portland one or both had some. Um, and I saw a lot of smaller cities that aren't that skill had them. If they continue at that clip for that, for a long period of time, that, that would, you know, people will, will quit going to downtown cities. Right. Yeah. I mean, I ain't going, I ain't going, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm not going down there to, to, um, to try to go and, and you know, get a hamburger or whatever. Yeah. Go down there, do their thing. I'm going to do their thing. I'm going to stay. I'm like, they're gonna do their thing. I'm gonna let them do their thing. I'm not getting involved. I'm not gonna go and um, I'm try to get involved with that. So um, you, you start thinking, well, hmm, that could have an interesting impact. Again, I don't think it will happen because I think they'll 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 kind of disperse sooner rather than later. But if they do, it could have a, a substantial, uh, uh, I say substantial, a moderate impact on on what we see moving forward. So, anyways, well, Josh, it was good to be back. It's June, man. I tell you what. Uh, March felt like it took 16 years. Was it March or April? One of those months felt like it took years to get through. And so uh, May is like, get like that, you know, it's just in and out. So um, it's, uh, I guess maybe things are, as far as the calendar goes, are, are back on track. So uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep plowing.